go. It's time for us to get started tonight. Thank y'all for being here. Uh, it's a joy to welcome you. We've got some guests tonight. We're always grateful for that. And I just hope all of you are looking forward to our Bible study tonight. Chance to encourage one another while we're here as well. And we want to invite you to come back on Sunday morning at 930. We'd love to see you then and uh, bring somebody with you if at all possible. Uh, I hope you received a copy of the bulletin uh, before, as you came in. If not, please get one before you leave. This will be the last Wednesday bulletin, I think, for a couple of weeks. Uh, so please keep that in mind. Also, uh, in regard to those that are sick, you'll find an updated list there. But Jackie Lambert, uh, the sister of Dale Kendrick, is now home from the hospital and doing well, and she appreciates all the cards that she has received uh, during her illness. So please remember her and her prayers as she recovers. Had an excellent turnout today to prepare the fruit baskets for uh, everyone that received those today. I think there were some 87 to 90 that were prepared, and uh, we had a lot of people there today. It was good to see everyone, and everybody worked together, and it was a very successful event. Uh, in regard to uh, Exposure Youth Camp for our young people, you're going to be leaving from the TAC at 11 a.m. on December the 27th, bring money for supper in Huntsville, and you need to pay your EYC fee before uh, leaving uh, town. Also, the 2024 registration will open at 10 a.m. on January the 1st uh, for Maywood. 
I know a lot of those sessions fill up fast, so that's just a reminder for you to go ahead and take advantage of that when it opens up on the 1st. I do want to recognize a couple of young men tonight. I, I try to share good news when I hear about it. Uh, Asher and Liam Sappington, 10th uh, graders, right? 10th graders both? Ain't that right? They scored a 33 and 31 respectively on their ACT. See, listen to that, man. Listen to that. Uh, I could take it three times and I couldn't get to 33, you know? So, uh, huh? Yeah. I was, uh, I was, I was what you might call educationally challenged, <laughs> maybe. All right. So congratulations to them. And that's quite an accomplishment. They're only in 10th grade. Y'all going to try again, maybe? Try for 36. Wow. Anyhow, congratulations to them. Also, the focus group, please keep in mind, we'll host a chili supper on Sunday evening, December 31st in the NX following our classes. This is for the entire congregation. Uh, you're asked to bring chili and soup and sides and desserts. We're also thrilled to welcome Jim and Vicki Thomason to our Boonville family. We're also excited that uh, Vicki Downs is back with us. Vicki is Mary Dooley's mother and uh, info uh, about their uh, contact information is in the bulletin. A reminder that our food pantry and clothes closet, the last one for the year, is going to be tomorrow from 9 until 1030. Appreciate all those that help with that. And if you'd like to come and be a part of that, we would enjoy having you. Also remember our Sunday schedule this coming Sunday, the 24th, uh, is as follows. We'll meet only one time at 930 for our service. There'll be no five o'clock Bible classes. Also, please remember our fifth Sunday contribution coming up in a week and a half on the 31st. All of this will go toward mission work. And I want to encourage you to prepare your hearts and sacrifice so that the gospel can continue to expand. This congregation is involved in a lot of mission efforts and uh, we want to be involved in more and perhaps we can uh, with more funding. And uh, so keep that in mind. Also, since December the 31st is the fifth Sunday, I want to remind you that Wednesday night, January the 3rd, instead of our classes meeting together, we'll have congregational singing. So keep that in mind. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Uh, Andrew Langley is going to be leading our singing. Brother Ken Forrest will present our devotional thoughts. And Brother Luther Mormon will dismiss us in prayer. We'll be singing uh, number 78, I mean, 578, we will glorify. We will glorify the King of Kings, we will glorify the Did you bring glory to God today? Did you glorify him in your words? The way you interacted with other people? 
when we glorify God, we're actually fulfilling our purpose as a Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, Paul says that you were bought at a price. Of course, you know that price, that purchase price, was the death of Jesus, the Son of God. You were bought at a price. Therefore, since that's true, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I ask, did you glorify God today? And maybe we're not really sure what it means actually to glorify God. One text that I think kind of sets the stage is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So if I'm glorifying God, that means I've, I've done something, something that reflects a thing that I've learned from God or have been impacted by God. And then when I did that, by my words and my actions, then it put people's minds on God. It directed them to God. If you were to go to the dictionary and try and find a definition, you would find that glorifying is when you honor, praise, admire something or someone. And in this picture, the idea is that attention came to you because you were doing something influenced by God, but then in turn, if you're glorifying him, you're putting the light on him. You and I, when we get up in the morning, right, there's a great opportunity for glorifying God. You just wake up and the first thing that hits your mind, God's blessing of this new day. You've just put the light on God it reflects something similar to what Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 28. He said, Father, glorify your name. But he was saying that as an agent of that glorification. Jesus was glorifying God. And he says, as I'm doing these things in your name, glorify yourself. Jesus went about glorifying God. Maybe, maybe it's not when you first wake up. Maybe, maybe it's in the process of getting yourself together in the morning. You're preparing yourself for the day. It wouldn't hurt in the midst of all of that preparation to meet other people, to remember something that John the Baptist said when he met Jesus. In the book of John chapter 3 and verse 30, John said simply, he must increase, but I must decrease. Do you see what happened there? I don't seek the glory even for the good things that I have learned from God. 
I'm here just as an agent in order to bring the glory to God. He must increase. I must decrease. Maybe it's in the middle of the day or, you know, when we take those breaks. Maybe it's when you sit down to eat. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, the Apostle Paul there says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever it is you're saying, whatever it is you're doing, be sure that you put the emphasis in your life to shine the light on God, not yourself. Maybe it's in the assessment of the day. Been busy. Finally, there's that quiet and you're tired. Maybe it's your bedtime. 10 o'clock, I'm out. <laughs> you lie down on that bed and the thoughts maybe begin to flow. What, what, what I did today? I would ask that question. That's a wonderful time to do it. Did I glorify God today? You know that little prayer that we teach children? Maybe you learned it from a parent and you've passed it on to your kids. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I never thought much about that prayer until I thought about glorifying God. And I realized when I lie down, whether it's the words of a child or my own efforts at putting together the right thought, seems that this prayer nails it. I'm totally at the mercy of God as I drift off to sleep. And I pray that God will keep me through the night. But if he doesn't, I pray he'll take me. Even in those thoughts is the recognition that I, I have humbled myself before an almighty God. In my reflections, did I, did I give him what he was due, what he was worth? Did I glorify him today? Maybe in those thoughts as we're drifting off and we fell short in that category, maybe, maybe it's the anticipation of another day where I can begin it right. I wake up in the morning and I glorify God. Well, I've asked it several times. I'm going to ask it one more time. Did you do that today? Did you glorify God in your words and in your actions Maybe you didn't do that. Maybe you were, I don't know, frustrated, said the wrong thing. Maybe you acted in a way that was uncharacteristic of you. You maybe got so wrapped up in self, you forgot, I'm an agent for God. You need to repent of that. If that's a public thing, then let's, let's, let's pray together about it. Let's encourage one another in the struggle because ultimately, uh, we're responsible in all that we do.
to bring glory to God. If you're not a child of God today, you will glorify God in the greatest way possible in your obedience to the gospel. He laid everything on the line for you, sending his own son to die for us. In fact, that becomes the point of operation for our glorification. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, 20? You were bought at a price. Maybe today is the day that you accept the sacrifice that was made, believing he's the son of God, confessing your faith, being repentant and being buried in water, have your sins washed away. Nothing glorifies God. Nothing puts the spotlight on him anymore than that obedient spirit. If you need us to pray for you or you need to obey the gospel, now's your opportunity. Let us know while we stand together and sing. Father in heaven, we give thee our thanks for letting us assemble here in this midweek assembly to sing these songs to praise thy name and hear another good lesson from Brother Ken. And we're thankful for every member and we're thankful for the fellowship we enjoyed this evening. We're thankful, Father, that we live in a land where we're assembled like this and without fear from those outside. We're thankful, Father, for our elders, and we pray for them, for our deacon, for those that are involved with the food pantry and different things, Father. We ask thee, Father, to bless our teacher this night, that thou will give him good memory study, and we pray that we will cherish the words that we hear and live it out day by day in Christ's name. Amen. As our teachers make their way to the classes, I'll be singing a common love. A common love.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord? Do I lift up my soul? All right, we're going to be meeting in here next Wednesday night, but then the January the 3rd, as I announced, in two weeks, we'll be having a singing. So we won't be having class that night. So we've got the next, this week and next week ready to go. I'm excited about the class and where we're going, and I appreciate you folks for being here tonight. And uh, I want us to get started tonight, if we can, with a prayer. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you for your continued and bountiful blessings that you bestow upon us. We're mindful, Father, of so many that we know that are sick. And in particular, Father, this time of the year is hard on many people for several reasons, not only illness, but grief and the loss of loved ones. We pray that you would be with each one. Father, you know their needs. Bless us in our Bible study uh, this evening. May we try to learn some things that we can apply to our lives so that we can glorify you in all things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as we think about making our lives more meaningful, we're talking about tonight individual initiative. I think that's very, very important if we want to live a meaningful life. You know, this world today is literally filled with willing people. Some who are willing to work, many others who are willing to let them do it. And, uh, you know, we need to understand that the subject of individual initiative is certainly one that must be defined in order that we might understand what all is involved and our own personal application to the importance of taking the initiative. I don't know how you would define initiative. Uh, the dictionary defines initiative as the action of taking the first step, making the first move. You know, when two people maybe are somewhat attracted to one another when they're young and, you know, who's going to take the first step, the young man or the young lady, if they want to go out on a date? Somebody has to take the initiative, don't they? Or when you think about reconciliation, 
You know, some people that may have been at odds with each other. If you want to restore that relationship, somebody's going to have to take the initiative. And I think if we do what the Bible says, both parties will take the initiative, you know, in the uh, ideal situation. And so we're talking about taking the first step. Uh, it also means the responsibility for beginning or originating. You know, every great thing that's happened in the history of our, our world today, whether it was an invention or whether it was some program or whatever the case may be, every great thing that was a service to mankind happened because somebody had the initiative to go out and take care of it and get things going, right? Uh, it takes initiative to accomplish things in this world. Now, let's place the word individual in front of the word initiative and let's think about that for just a moment uh, we understand that we're talking about an individual being ready right an individual being willing to take that first step an individual being ready to begin or to originate actions that are going to give meaning and direction in life what about us tonight? What about you? What about me? Do we take the initiative in doing things that need to be done? Or do we just kind of wait for somebody else to kind of take over and do what needs to be done? And maybe we'll join in if we can. Individual initiative would just revolutionize our lives. It would revolutionize the Lord's church. And if I want to live a meaningful life, a kind of life that pleases to God, I need to become a person of individual initiative. And I think this reflects one of the greatest needs in our lives today in our society. You know, many people out there today want a better life, don't they? You ask most people out there, you know, on the street that you encounter, do you want a better life? Man, yes, I would love to have a better life. They complain because they don't have a better life. But you know what? They're waiting for somebody else to provide the initiative, aren't they? They're waiting for somebody else to provide the leadership that's necessary for them to have a better life. Anytime people accomplish things in life, uh, you think about a young person going to college and getting an education. Maybe they desire to be a doctor or a lawyer, or, or whatever the case may be, a teacher. They have to have the initiative that it takes to get the job done, right? There are requirements that must be met if I'm going to accomplish what I need to accomplish in the particular field that I desire. And so individual initiative is very, very important if we want to live a better life. And in particular, when it comes to Serving the Lord, individual initiative is vitally important. You know, one reason why the church isn't growing the way that it should is because the members of the church don't have the proper initiative that they need to have. Now, the exercising of individual initiative denotes that person wanting to make his life more meaningful to the extent that that individual is not going to just sit back. 
He's not going to wait for somebody else to tell him what to do or how to do it, but he's going to initiate the first action himself. When you think about individual initiative, it indicates that regardless of the success or failure of everybody round about me, it doesn't matter what somebody else may or may not have accomplished. It matters not what kind of successes or failures other people may have had in their particular endeavors in life. I have an individual responsibility to use my God-given talents to achieve the most meaningful life possible. And if I want to have a meaningful life, I have to exercise individual initiative. You know, frequently when you uh, go online, you know, people looking for jobs, there's all kinds of different websites that you can go to for uh, applications for various jobs. You hear the advertisements as I do on the radio and television. It used to be they were mostly classified ads of the paper and I guess to some extent that probably is still done. But frequently, uh, when they're seeking certain types of employees, they have in the description of that job must be a self-starter. Y'all know what I'm talking about. What does that mean, a self-starter? Anybody? What do you think about when you think about a self-starter? Take the initiative, okay. Well, that's a good point, yeah. Good, take the initiative. Doing what needs to be done without having be, to be told how to do it, right? You know, this is, the, this is your job, this is your responsibility. Now, you do whatever it takes to make sure the job gets done. You need to be a self-starter. You don't need to be waiting for somebody else to tell you how to do it and what needs to take place. You know, a manager of a store or a, a restaurant, uh, you know, that's a difficult job to have, isn't it? It's difficult because so many times you've got to just explain in detail everything to everybody so they'll get the job done. Instead, you know, we'd like for our employees to be self-starters, right? Here's something that needs to be done. You do it. You make sure it gets done. And uh, the prospective employer is looking for a person who will exercise that individual initiative in getting the job done. Now, that's the kind of attitude that God desires in our lives. God wants us to take the initiative in serving him. Just like what Ken was saying tonight in our devotional about glorifying God. Glorifying God requires individual initiative. A determination that I'm going to glorify God by who I am and what I say and how I act and conduct myself. God requires individual initiative if we want to be pleasing in his sight. Any questions or comments from anybody regarding that? Any observations that you, anybody wants to make? All right, I want us to briefly look at some examples within the pages of the Bible that describe the kind of action that I'm talking about. I think if I can open up the pages of God's Word and see individual initiative in action, you know, as people are serving God, I think that can inspire me and help me as well uh, as I endeavor to exercise individual initiative in my life. I want to think about Joseph of Arimathea. 
Joseph of Arimathea is a well-known example of a man who demonstrated this quality in his actions toward Jesus. We read the account there in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. Now, Jesus had been put to death on the cross. And uh, what's going to happen to his body? Who's going to take care of it? Well, it was this man, Joseph of Arimathea, whose actions are recorded with the evident approval of the inspired writers. Now, where were the disciples of Jesus when our Lord died? Where were they? They're gone, aren't they? All the disciples forsook him and fled. They were scared to death. So they're not going to take care of the Lord's body, are they? You know, certainly not. They're nowhere to be found. And, uh, you know, who's going to trust the enemies of Jesus to take care of his body? You know, do you want the enemies of the Lord to dispose of his body in some way? You know, perhaps in a very uh, unmeaningful and disrespectful way. But you see, it was Joseph of Arimathea who took the initiative. He went to the Roman governor Pilate and requested that the body of Jesus be turned over to him for proper burial. Now, this really required individual initiative on his part. You know, Joseph risked incurring the wrath of the governor himself in, the, in this request he made. You know, perhaps Pilate wouldn't take too kindly, you know, to somebody wanting to take this responsibility. Joseph also risked his reputation and his position among the Jewish leaders in the action that he was taking. You know, what are my fellow Jewish people, my comrades, going to think about this? You know, they called for the crucifixion of Jesus. They cried out, let him be crucified. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders of the day that plotted to kill Jesus. And they were successful in their endeavor. What are they going to think now? You know, if they hear that I've taken the body of Jesus... Are they going to, you know, disown me? You know, kind of like the chief rulers of the synagogue, they believed in Jesus, right? But because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't confess to him lest they put, be put out of the synagogue. So, you know, Joseph was taking a lot of risks here, wasn't he? Uh, to go and make this request before Pilate. And along with Nicodemus, who risked his reputation as well, uh, as a secret disciple, Joseph put the body of Jesus in his own newly hewn tomb. I think a lot of Joseph are doing that, don't you? His own new tomb, he gave up to put the body of Jesus there. And Joseph has been praised for his individual initiative throughout the ages. And so here's a man that saw a need, first of all, right? Somebody's got to do something about it. Somebody needs to take the initiative. I'm in a position where I can do so. Who better than me, right, to take on this responsibility? It would have been easy for him to kind of get out of this a little bit. He didn't have to do it. Nobody was asking him to do this. He did it on his own. He took the individual initiative. You know, we're also impressed, I am, with the individual initiative shown by those who were members of that early Jerusalem church. 
Remember in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, the great persecution that arose after the stoning of Stephen. Here were people that were forced to leave their homes because of intense persecution. Have you, have you ever been persecuted for righteousness sake? I heard somebody say one time, you know, I've lived a Christian life all my life and I don't know if I've ever been persecuted for righteousness sake. Well, if that's true, maybe you're not been living righteously as you should because if you live righteously, you know, people are going to revile you and persecute you and so say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You will be persecuted in some form or fashion, maybe verbally. It could be in some other way, but you will be persecuted. And so these first century Christians in Jerusalem were not just persecuted in that way. It was so intense, they were literally forced away from their homes. Uh, you know, you think about what happens overseas when, you know, certain terrible events happen in countries and, you know, there are thousands and sometimes millions of refugees that have to leave their country and, you know, they seek refuge in another country. And, uh, you know, it's sad when people are forced to leave their homes, aren't they? Uh, how would you feel if you had to leave your home tomorrow just like that because of persecution? Well, they did. Now, the Bible says in Acts 8 and verse 4, those that were scattered abroad went everywhere complaining about all the stuff that had happened to them. Is that what they did? Huh? They didn't go about being negative and complaining about how they had to leave their homes. You know, woe is me. The Bible says they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. I think you could substitute that word for Jesus. They went everywhere preaching about Jesus. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, how easy it would have been for them to just run off, hide from, you know, these forces that are involved in persecution. They could have easily explained, you know, their fear of persecution from the Jews as a reason for inactivity. You know, we're just going to kind of halt a little while. Let's just be quiet, see if this will pass, right? They didn't do that. They went everywhere preaching the word. They had to leave their homes because they preached the word and lived the word. And they weren't just going to leave and be quiet about their faith because that's a part of who they were. They couldn't help but, you know, say something about it. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I believe, therefore I spoke. I, I can't be quiet about who I am and what I am as a Christian. I can't help but to share it with other people. And I'm going to whenever I have the opportunity. And so that's what these early Christians did. After all, you know, the, the Jews had resorted to violence in putting Stephen to death. Now, it's one thing to be verbally abused and lied about and gossiped about because of your Christian faith, right? It's another thing to have violence focused toward you and your family because of your beliefs. You know, we see a lot in the news today about anti-Semitism, right? You know, what's going on overseas and uh, it's amazing to me how history can seemingly repeat itself. We remember what happened uh, with Germany decades ago, right? The Holocaust. Over six million Jews were exterminated because of the hatred of Hitler 
and the German people, you know, toward that particular race, they saw them as being inferior, as being unworthy. It's one thing to maybe feel that way, but to execute people because of that, it's another thing entirely. You know, we marvel at that, how that could happen. And yet, what do we see happening today? We see an attitude of anti-Semitism today. In other words, it started probably just like this back in Germany years ago, didn't it? Right? That attitude. And it developed over time. And so when you start having violence towards you as being a part of your persecution, it kind of changes your perspective a little bit, doesn't it? Makes you want to kind of walk softly a little bit more, don't you? Be more careful. Well, these early Christians didn't allow that fear to keep them from doing what they ought to do. They, they went forward, they preached the gospel regardless of the consequences. And instead of allowing such hindrances to control and influence their lives, they exercised the individual initiative in declaring the truths of God's word to the people that they came in contact with everywhere they went. No wonder the Lord's church spread and grew, isn't it? It's no wonder that, you know, by the time Colossians is written, you know, every person on the earth had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. These members spread the truth. You know, it's amazing that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, didn't they? Y'all know that, don't you? Who was responsible for the preaching of the gospel? It was the members of the church. Everyday, ordinary members of the church who went out preaching the gospel. And uh, it's apparent that they loved God. They loved his word more than even life itself. And that motivated their initiative. Let's look at another example here. I love the individual initiative demonstrated by Andrew. And uh, that's been recorded to his credit in John chapter 1, 41 and 42. Andrew told his brother, Simon Peter, about Jesus Christ. You see, Andrew didn't wait for somebody else to do what he knew that he could do and should do. Andrew didn't feel like that somebody outside the family relationship, you know, should show more love and concern for his brother than he should show. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, I don't think I can talk to my relatives, you know, about the gospel. I think it'd be better if somebody else did that. Folks, who better than your own flesh and blood to talk to somebody that you love about their soul salvation, the most important thing in the world. And uh, really what we're doing is just kind of making excuses instead of taking the initiative. What's the worst thing that can happen? They stay in the situation they're in right now, right? That's the worst thing that can happen. You're not going to lose anything, you know. Uh, but Andrew realized he had a responsibility to show his own flesh and blood, his brother, Jesus Christ. And he brought a great blessing to the life of his brother because of his love and his interest in him. And I think many people throughout the ages have been encouraged by the example of individual initiatives shown by Andrew. And of course, we think about the great commission that was given by Jesus Christ to go into all the world. And we know that each disciple is encouraged to demonstrate that same kind of initiative shown by Andrew. 
I think if you were to ask a lot of people today that are not members of the church, that may have members of their family who are members of the church, has anybody in your family ever talked to you about the church or about the gospel? I wonder how many would say yes and how many would say no. I wonder what that percentage is. I haven't done any, you know, fact-checking on that, but I've got a feeling there's a significant number of family members who are not members of the church that has never had a single family member who might be a member of the church to talk to them about their salvation. And it's important that we take the individual initiative. Another case I want to look at quickly is the case of Aquila and Priscilla. Now, I love this example here. They demonstrate that uh, the kind of individual initiative it takes in teaching others. Now, there was a dynamic preacher, Apollos. He is an eloquent preacher. He is an outstanding preacher. Apollos is coming to town, right? We've got to go hear Apollos. I want to hear Apollos. I mean, he's a fantastic gospel preacher. Mighty in the scriptures. That's exactly right. He knew a lot about the Lord. He did a fantastic job preaching the word. However, there was an area of information in which Apollos was deficient. And he knew and apparently taught only the baptism of John. Now, the baptism of John was no longer in effect anymore, right? After Jesus died on the cross and the church came into existence. That baptism no longer existed, but it had been replaced by the baptism of the Great Commission, which was in the name of Jesus Christ and for the remission of sins. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, even though this preacher was mighty in the scriptures and eloquent, didn't allow the fact that Paul was a powerful preacher to intimidate them and discourage them from doing what they knew they ought to do. Instead, they called him out in front of the church and condemned him publicly for a false teaching on the gospel of John. Is that what they did? Oh, notice what they did now. They understood the situation here. The Bible says they took him aside privately and taught him the way of the Lord more completely, more perfectly. You see, here was a man that needed some correction in his preaching. He only understood the baptism of John. And Aquila and Priscilla, in humility, took him aside and explained to him the real situation. And of course, the later references by Paul to this man lends testimony to the great and most effective work that uh, Apollos did in spreading the borders of God's kingdom. It's an amazing account there. But notice they took the initiative. They didn't say, well, somebody else will surely do that. You know, surely somebody will uh, tell him differently and correct him. They saw a need. And they knew it wasn't up to somebody else to do it. They took the initiative and they did it. All right, let's look at one more example quickly, if you, can, if you will. Uh, one of the better known examples of individual initiative in the New Testament is found in the story told by Jesus of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Uh, we read about this particular situation. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, they beat him, right, and robbed him and left him half dead. 
And then we read about the priest and the Levite, you know, separately. They, they also traveled that road and they saw a man in need, but what did they do? Maybe the robber's still around. You know, here's a man crying out in need. He may die, but he passed quietly on the other side. Who's to know, right? The Levite also did the same. Now, they're the religious leaders of the day, aren't they? They're supposed to be setting the example that, that other people could follow. But you know what they showed? They showed their religion was worthless and useless, didn't they? They didn't mean anything practically because they saw a man in need and passed by on the other side. Now, the Samaritan here, Jesus calls attention to, came. He saw the man where he was and he went to him immediately. He didn't wait for somebody else to come along, did he? You know, uh, he didn't just kind of sit away maybe till somebody else would come and help also. He took the in individual initiative, saw a need, and he went to that man and he helped him. He bound up his wounds and he took him to an end and he paid all the cost for that man to be restored to his health. And he said, when I return, I'll pay all the rest of the cost as well. He took the initiative in taking care of this individual. This man did not wait to present the case to the benevolent committee of his own congregation, did he? No. He didn't ask, you know, the elders, you know, should I go and help this particular man? You know, he didn't, he didn't ask somebody else of advice. He knew what needed to be done, and he went and he did it without having to be told to. He knew he should do it, and he took the initiative. Now, there are times when we encounter these situations that need decisive action, don't we? We need to give immediate attention to certain things. How do we react when we see those situations? Uh, whenever such situations are encountered, it's going to be our willingness to demonstrate individual initiative that will determine whether needed help is going to be supplied and needed attention is going to be given. If it's not me, who's it going to be? I'm responsible. I have to take the initiative. And so I want to submit to you tonight as we kind of bring this lesson to a close, if, if we want to live really meaningful lives, I need to begin to develop within my being within my heart, the attitude that will encourage me to demonstrate individual initiative whenever the situation arises, whenever the action is necessary. Now, it's certainly fine to work within the framework of organized programs of the local congregation. You know, the church leadership provides avenues of service, and it's wonderful when, you know, we're willing to volunteer to help in areas of the Lord's work here locally so that the church can grow. And it's certainly wonderful to be involved as much as we can. And through our involvement in these programs, we gain experience, we gain training, I think we gain encouragement that we need to develop our individual skills and our abilities so that we can better serve God by using our individual initiative. And it's then when we have so prepared ourselves and the need for individual initiative arises that we're going to have the confidence, the self-confidence 
that we need to take action when the situation demands it. Uh, it may mean the difference between somebody being saved or somebody being lost. And it's certainly going to add a great dimension to our lives. It's going to make our lives more meaningful. So I want to challenge you tonight. I want you to think about this idea of individual initiative. You know, let's say somebody comes into our building, a visitor, on Sunday morning. Sometimes people will come up to me and say, who is so-and-so? Who is so-and-so? What do you need to do if you take an individual initiative? What should you do? Go talk to them yourself. You know, somebody sitting alone, I always tell young people, don't you ever let somebody sit alone at the lunchroom at school. You go over there and you encourage them. You know, the Bible talks about how we need to be other person-centered. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In lowliness of mind, consider others better than yourself. That's where individual initiative begins. See, so many times today, people are self-oriented, right? It's my space and my time and what I want to do and my needs, and I don't want to be inconvenienced in any way. You see, that closes our eyes to the needs of other people, doesn't it? And we oftentimes don't see the opportunities that are, that are available to us. And I'm suggesting we need to open up our eyes and we need to see the opportunities that abound and not wait for somebody else to go through that door of opportunity, but I need to go through that door myself. Maybe there's a coworker uh, that's having some family problems and uh, you can just tell that, you know, their heart is torn because of that particular problem. Maybe they share that problem or part of it with you. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to take the individual initiative and perhaps listen to them? Maybe give some advice if that's what they want and use that as an open door of opportunity to eventually share with them the gospel. You know, we need to take the individual initiative. And that's one reason, you know, why our world's in the situation it is. We've got too many people waiting for somebody else to make the first move, right? We're waiting for somebody else to take the first step instead of going ourselves and doing what needs to be done. You know, if you hear about somebody here at church that needs some help, maybe financially, maybe they're going through some difficult problems, maybe you want to let the leadership of the church know, but you take the initiative and go find out yourself what they need. Don't just tell somebody else, I think so-and-so may have a need. You go show concern for them. You, you go show interest in what's going on in their lives. You know, it means putting ourselves on the line sometimes, doesn't it? It means inconveniencing ourselves. And uh, in our world today, people don't like to be inconvenienced. I think we've turned religion today. I don't mean to go off of my soapbox. We've turned religion today into a religion of convenience, haven't we? We want worship to be as short as it can be. We, we want to get it over with and get about our everyday affairs. And, you know, let's make, you know, religion just as easy as possible so we can go about our everyday lives. We just can't do that. We can't compartmentalize our religion, our Christianity. It's a part of who we are and what we are. And uh, 
as I live my Christian life each day, I'm other person centered. I'm focusing on other people. What do I see that their needs are? What's going on in their lives instead of what's happening to me? And did you know who the happiest people in all the world are today? I've seen people that have the peace that passeth understanding. I've known people that have that peace that only God can give. But you know what is the characteristic of those people? They're involved in serving other people unselfishly. I want to be more like that. You know, I, I want to be less selfish and focused on my needs. And, you know, I want to focus more on the needs of other people. But those are the happiest people that I've ever known in my life that have true peace in their hearts because they're genuine servants of God and they serve God by serving others. Well, I've got about three more minutes. Anybody got any comments y'all want to make or observations? Anybody want to take the individual initiative and make a comment? Huh? Do what now? Yeah, I think that's the key right there. When you take individual initiative, you are stepping out of your comfort zone. Just like that, you know, that guy that has an interest in a girl, if, if he really wants to maybe date her or meet her or whatever, what does he do? He puts himself in an uncomfortable situation, right? And uh, he does what it takes to meet her. You're exactly right. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. When you go visit somebody that, let's say, has become unfaithful to God, you know that they've not, they sit near you at church. They haven't been here, right? For a few weeks. Is it up to the elders to come up with the names and lists of all those people who aren't here? And finally, you know, we get the information out to maybe the deacons or others that need to go see them. Or if I'm sitting around them at church and I see that they're not here, do I call them and let them know I miss them? Do I? Or do I just get too busy to do that? How long does a phone call take? Not very long, you know. Oh, I know I need to send a card to so-and-so and several people here that are discouraged. I'll get around to it one day. You know, you got to take the initiative and go out and get it done. See, that's what it requires. You're exactly right. Comfort zone. Got to put ourselves out of our comfort zone. That's hard to do. Anybody else? Well, consider yourselves dismissed.